0: Because God is a just judge, sinners need a rock or refuge, a cleft in which to hide. And we read of that in scripture this afternoon, but we confess our faith concerning God as our judge and our need for his mercy in Lord's Day 4 of the Heidelberg Catechism, page 874 in the back of your songbooks. Lord's Day 4, question and answers 9, 10, and 11. Part of knowing the reality of our sin and misery is learning from the Bible about God's punishment. Our world following Satan denies the punishment of God. Unless we deal with that, we'll never run to the gospel. Not only need to know our sin, but the truth of God's punishment. Doesn't God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man is unable to do. We've seen the truth of total depravity that we're so corrupt we're unable to do any good. Well, then doesn't God do man an injustice then by still demanding perfection when man can't give that? No, God created man with the ability to keep the law. Man, however, at the instigation of the devil and willful disobedience, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. Will God permit such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? Certainly not. He is terribly angry with the sin we're born with as well as we actually commit our actual sins. God will punish them by a just judgment, both now and in eternity, having declared cursed, is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. But isn't God also merciful? God is certainly merciful, but he's also just. And his justice demands that sin committed against His supreme penalty or majesty be punished with the supreme penalty, eternal punishment of body and soul. Now let's read of God's just judgment in Genesis 2 and 3 you turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 2 and 3. Genesis 2, verses 4 through 17, right at the beginning of your Bible, page 2. Genesis 2 verse 4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused a terrain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a, a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there's gold. And the gold of that land is good, delium and onyx. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It's the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, "'You may surely eat of every tree of the garden.'" But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then chapter 3, 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say This is God God's word may he bless us congregation by it and build us strengthen us to serve the living god people of god if if we're not for the bible we never know about our sin it's not a natural knowledge Society will never teach you about your sin. Experience will never teach you about your sin. Left to ourselves, we wouldn't know this truth about ourselves. So how do you come to know your sin and misery? Out of the law of God. And that would, what's we, What we've been saying, what does the Bible teach about our sin? First, the reality of it. We're not lovers. We're by nature haters of God and of one another. We hate God and our neighbor, that's our natural inclination. The reality of sin. And then we study the origin of sin. Where does it come from? God didn't make us that way. There's not a deficiency in creation, he made us good. It comes from ourselves, represented by our first parents, who broke God's law and became guilty and corrupt. And ever since then every member of the human race is conceived and born in sin. We're guilty and corrupt from the beginning. Then we study the depth and extent of our sin. Depravity is total. We're always inclined to evil. And we're always unable to do anything good in God's sight. Everything we think, feel, say, and do is poisoned from the well, sin well within us. Nothing is clean in the sight of God. And when you look at the reality of our sin. And the origin of it from ourselves and the extent and depth of it that leads us to the gospel. We need a new heart and we need a new start. And God provides that in Jesus Christ. We need to be born again, which means the Spirit of God must come inside us and plant the seed of new life, the seed of Jesus Christ. That new life is Jesus. But before we borrow look more fully at what the gospel is in the coming weeks, we got to look at one more truth about our sin and that is our punishment. Our punishment. And that's what Lord's Day 4. It's a summary of what the Bible teaches about the consequence or God's punishment on sin. Here again, Satan's lie comes aggressively. And we need to know the truth of the Bible against that lie. So we want to see this afternoon God's truth versus Satan's lie in the matter of God's judgment on sin. Satan's lie is you shall not surely die, but God's truth is you shall surely die. And we need to deal with that if we're going to run for a mediator. First, we see God's righteous requirement. Remember that little Jack Horner religion? It's the common false religion of the whole human race by nature. We're good people. As little Jack Horner, the prankster, said, what a good boy am I. Always comes out good. We just make some mistakes. We have some issues. You need a personality adjustment maybe. You might need a boost. But the Bible says, no, you're dead and you need a new life, a whole new life. You're not just sort of need a little course correction, but you're okay the way you are. That's the little Jack Horner religion lie. But there's another lie that human beings believe. Hey, I'm not perfect, but that doesn't matter. God's okay with sin. He's a nice guy. You see that in the Psalms, how the unbeliever talks I can get away with sin because God doesn't see it. He's too far m- removed from reality. He's so busy running the universe. So I can get away with sin because God doesn't see it. Or another version of that lie is God sees it, but he re- really doesn't care. He'll go easy on us. Again, he's a nice guy. Why wouldn't he? I mean, remember like that husband who washes the dishes once and it's like he's done it for years? Oh, that's the way we think of it. You know, I make some mistakes. I'm not perfect, but I've done some really good things and and God certainly thinks I'm special. But the truth is, God is very, very serious about all his requirements. All his laws. Because he's a holy God. And one sin against his infinite majesty is worthy of infinite punishment, one sin. He's very, very serious about all his requirements and very, very serious about every transgression against them. He's very serious about all his requirements. In the beginning, God made man good. He was righteous and holy, knowing God and knowing God's will. And God put Adam and Eve in the garden, told them to work it and keep it. And just think of what that means. They're to fill the earth. So the idea is to work and keep the garden as his image bearers and expand the boundaries of that garden till it covers the whole world. And the knowledge of the Lord covers the world as the waters cover the sea. That's God's plan for us, kingdom. And Adam and Eve are to multiply with righteous and holy kids and grandkids and so on. That was his command work it keep it expand it fill the earth with my glory and then he added one more requirement now Adam there's a tree in the middle of the garden it's alongside the tree of life which is also in the middle and this tree is called the tree of knowledge of good and evil You shall not eat from it. That was another righteous requirement. You shall not eat from it. Nothing wrong with the tree. God made everything good. The fruit was perfect. The tree was good. It was a test of man's obedience and love to God. Do you really love me? Do you really believe my word? Will you really give your life to my commandments and trust My word. That's to choose eternal life if you obey my word. The tree was a test of that. But if they would disobey God's command, if they would say, we don't trust your word, you're hiding something from us, God. There's something better out there and you want to keep us away from that. That choice to disobey is a choice of death. To live apart from God is death. That's God's righteous requirement, a very simple one. But God was so serious about this requirement that he added this warning. In the day that you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will surely die. That's how serious God is about you and me. Trusting and obeying his word in all things. Even in the small commands like don't eat of that tree. Even if in one thing we disobey him, that's worthy of death. God is perfectly holy, and he cannot live with any unholiness. That's a contradiction of who he is. And one speck of unholiness must be removed from his sight. He's holy, he, he will not be compromised in his character. You shall surely die, he says. That word surely is an oath word. Dying, you will die. It's certain. I swear by my own name, you will die. No doubts about it. No wiggle room around it. No way out of it. You shall surely die. Not maybe die. Not probably die. And so offending the good, the holy, the glorious, the almighty, the absolutely holy creator and king is worthy of. Of death. What does it mean you shall surely die? It doesn't mean just to stop breathing in the Bible. It means eternal separation from God. God who's your life, your goodness, your joy, your peace. It means hell. No goodness, no joy, no peace, no life. In the sense of walking with God, just misery, darkness, depression, suffering. You shall surely die. It's God's righteous requirement. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Well, let's see, secondly, God's just punishment. What happens then when... Adam and Eve really do transgress that righteous law of God in the garden. You see, the terms of the covenant with God are set in Genesis 2. God's righteous requirement, God's promised punishment, they're set. Then in comes Satan to tempt Adam and Eve. It's a very slick operation. He's crafty. Satan, remember, was created good. He's a good angel by nature, by origin I mean, but he revolted against God. We don't know, we're not told where that comes from, but he revolted against God, trying to take over the throne of God, and God threw him out of his heavenly council. And ever since then, Satan and all the angels that joined him have become demons, devils, fallen angels. And now Satan comes prowling around hoping to to seduce the human race to join him in his fall, to bring them down to God's good human race, race, his righteous and holy human race. Jesus says this about the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. John 8, verse 44. So when the serpent came talking to Eve, that's not just a talking serpent. That was Satan who chose to enter a snake or a serpent as his vehicle of temptation, of seduction. And we know that from Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 12, which says the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And again in Revelation twenty. And the angel sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. This is the devil. This is Satan choosing a snake or a serpent to be his chosen instrument of temptation. And notice what he says when he's talking to Eve, verse 2. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did he actually say he's inserting a level of doubt into the word of God? Can you really trust what God is saying? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely Die, And there's the first lie of Satan in the Bible. To deny the righteous punishment of God towards sin. You shall not surely die. If you disobey God, you will not be punished. If you reject God's law, you will get away with it. Count on it. You're smarter than God. In fact, you'll not only get away with it, says Satan, but far better. When you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You will experience a level of emancipation and wisdom and intelligence and power like never before. And new freedom. And that lie of Satan continues to this very day. You will not be punished. Life will be better than ever if you disobey God. That lie continues to this very day to war against God's truth of eternal punishment. If you throw off, this is the lie, if you throw off the yoke of religion, if you liberate yourself from God's word and just follow your heart and just do What you feel like doing, you will not be punished. No, that idea of punishment is just a fairy tale or a scary tale to keep you down like a slave on God's plantation. Don't believe that. If you go your own way, you will rise to a new level of humanity and power. You constantly hear this kind of lie in the pro choice movement. being pro-life, opposing abortion as a sin against God's law, disempowers women. It makes slaves of them when you obey God. But if you throw that law away, you will not be punished, no, you'll rise to a new level of women power and liberation, and that's why in the women's liberation movement, Genesis 3 is read as an act of emancipation. When Lilith, the name for Eve, eats the fruit, she is set free. She is set free. And that's the lie that surrounds every sin in our culture. There's no God, and if there is, he certainly does not punish sin. What the Bible calls sin is actually an act of self-liberation and empowerment. That's the lie. But what's the real lie? You shall not surely die. That's the real lie. The truth is you will surely die. If you disobey God, if you sin against him, the truth of God is that he's holy He's the standard of right and wrong in his own character. And when we break his law, we're not just breaking a rule. That law is fastened to his own person, his own being, his character. And we're actually kicking or giving the finger to God himself. We're spitting on him. We're insulting him. And when you insult the Supreme Majesty... you get supreme wrath and supreme punishment. It can't be any other way. God doesn't change his standard. Even though we've fallen into sin and can't keep his laws anymore. God doesn't change because we've fallen and have changed. If I'm addicted to stealing or gambling, that doesn't change God's law that it's wrong to steal. If I become addicted to rage, that doesn't mean God changes his mind about killing. And the truth of God is that he will punish every transgression of his standard because it is an assault on his own glory the universe cannot tolerate that the creator should be mocked and insulted and that not be punished. The universe cannot, the universe should fall apart because that would mean God has fallen apart. So the Bible's truth is Ezekiel 18, the soul that sins, it shall die. Because even one of my own sins arouses God's righteous wrath. My sin makes me a child of wrath. God's wrath. And when the Bible speaks about his anger, God's anger towards sin, it's not just a little upsetness that blows over by tomorrow. That's not God's anger and wrath in the Bible. No, it's a fire that burns to eternity. Against the sinner. That's his wrath. Listen to what Jesus said. Whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. John 3. But whoever does not obey the son. Whoever does not obey Jesus. Shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides. Remains. It's settled on him. In Deuteronomy 32, God says, A fire is kindled by my anger and it burns to the depths of hell. It devours the earth and its increase and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. God's anger is a holy, righteous anger that ends up in eternal punishment of body and soul in hell. That's what hell is. When you die, your soul goes to Hades, your body in the ground. But the resurrection, God will raise the body of the wicked, a body fit for torments, reunite it with soul, and go into everlasting punishment. And nobody spoke about hell more than Jesus himself, the Savior. He was so earnest about us knowing the wages of sin is death. So he would take sin seriously and stop turning it into a lighthearted thing and joking about it and not dealing with it in our lives. People of God, the Bible says that one day Jesus the judge, Second Thessalonians 1, listen, One day Jesus the judge shall come from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And that's what eternal punishment is. A life of eternal suffering, body and soul where there's no grace, there's no good, there's no happiness, no joy, no pleasure. That, that's the weight of sinning against the infinite God. People, don't take sin lightly. Don't take your sin lightly. Don't take other people's sins lightly. Don't take God's anger toward you lightly. Don't take his punishment lightly. They're very, very real. Don't hold on to Satan's lie. You will not surely die. Don't buy into that in any way. Because God's truth will stand forever and Satan's lie will die. The wages of sin is death. I understand that people in the world will take sin lightly because they don't have the law of God to show, but people in the church often take sin lightly too. And they muck around in the shoals of sin and think that God's gonna be okay with it just because they sort of hang around in the edges of the church. And they turn a blind eye to their sin And they go easy on themselves. But God will not. Because he hates sin and the sinner. He hates sin and the sinner. Yes, he loves us as his creatures made in his image. But broken, fallen, rebellious, and offensive to God. He hates the sinner. It's not just our sins that he hates. But the sinner... And our sin were highly offensive to God. The Bible says we're a nause, we're nauseating to Him, and He would vomit us out. Because sin is a total contradiction of all that God is, and that's why we see. Thirdly, we need His merciful gift. There's a way out. There's a way out. God in his love has provided a holy, glorious way out of our sin and punishment. As Paul says, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we get what we deserve, we'll surely die. The way out is not Satan's lie. You will not surely die. That's not the way out. There's a way out, but that's not it. Pretending. Holding the lie. The way out is God's mercy. And it's a holy mercy and a just mercy where he promised Adam and Eve that he would send his son into the human race as the seed of the woman, the child of Mary, the son of Mary. And this seed, this woman, or this son of the woman, would be the way out for us. He's the door to eternal life, he's the way back to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the way back to God. And what a mercy that God has given us a way out in Jesus Christ. Because what did he do? When he sent him, he laid on him the iniquity of us all. He took all our sins and nailed them to Jesus. Put them on his record. Though Jesus is blameless, righteous took all my crimes, all my wrong feelings, all my weakness and all my wickedness and all that's wrong with me, all that makes me unworthy of God and God took that off his child and said, I put that on my son. He put my sin on Jesus and then he steered all his wrath that I deserve, his anger, his intense anger, his eternal anger this fire that burns down to hell. He put that on Jesus too. Jesus bore God's wrath in his own body and soul. And then he not only took our sin, Jesus did, he not only took God's wrath, but also eternal punishment. So that on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God turned his face away from his son and he went through hell on the cross, but also during his whole life. A separation from God. And it so terrified him that it drew out of him, as it were, sweat like drops of blood. Terrifying. This was for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet so willing and loving that God would send his son. And that his son was willing to come and stand in my place. And through Jesus, your sin is taken away and replaced with righteousness. God's anger is taken away and replaced with eternal love. And through Jesus, God's punishment is taken away and replaced with eternal glory, heaven instead of hell. And all there is left for you when you belong to Jesus is mercy. Mercy, mercy, it's God's pity toward the sinner. He does not want to see you destroyed in the fires of hell. But would that you would come to his son so that you might be saved, I might be saved. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, has shown you that you're a sinner and a terrible one at that. And that God is angry with you and his sentence of hell is upon you. What should you do? What should you do about that? You should plead for mercy. You should come to Jesus. Give him all your sin. And the death sentence that's on you, the eternal punishment that's come, give that to Jesus and say, take care of that for me. I'm a lost sinner. And God will never refuse anybody who comes to his son because he loves his son. He loves all who come to his son. And Jesus will never turn away anybody who comes to him as a needy sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you go home justified. That's the way of mercy. God will declare you righteous. He will pour out his eternal love on you. He'll declare you his friend forever and make heavenly glory your destiny. And then you have peace with God and you rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But more than that, you have good news to share with the lost. And so it really is the good news. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we won't be able to help but tell others what Jesus has done for us. Sin is real. So is grace. Wrath is real, but so is love. Hell is real, but so is heaven. And it's all in Jesus. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we call upon your name as those have been told that we may come to your Son and you will certainly receive us, forgive us, cleanse us, and make us new in Him. Lord, we thank you that your standards do not change. But we also thank you that you've been willing to fulfill your, fulfill your standards and a substitute in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that in Him, we have righteousness and life, we have heaven instead of hell. And we have glory instead of suffering. Lord, visit each one of us. Help us to stop taking our sin lightly and your punishment lightly and to get real. Lord, protect us from Satan's lie in our lives. We're so tempted to think that it'll all be okay and not even deal with what we're facing but taking your truth seriously that we run to Jesus for refuge. And in him we thank you that we have eternal life and we have such good news to share to a needy world. So use us as instruments of the gospel of peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.